And tonight is called Revive Me. Revive Me. You know, there's a lot of talk about revival in the church. It's, it's good talk. It should be talked about. It should be prayed about. But normally what I hear is revive us. I rarely hear revive me. And I will tell you, as we were praying before the service tonight, that's my prayer for me, is Lord, revive me. I need revival in my own life. Psalm 119, the second study uh, we are embarking on in the psalm. So hopefully you've got it located. I'm turning there myself. Psalm 119, revive me. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for each precious person that's either watching at this given moment via live stream. Thank you for the technology for people to tune in. Uh, Though they can't physically be here, they are with us and we're grateful to have them. And I just pray that you would bless them tonight as they are watching from wherever they may be tonight. And those, uh, certainly many more people jump on later and watch this, and I pray you would bless them, and your word never comes back void, and it amazes me how sermons preached from a couple years ago, or even 10 years ago, or whatever it is, bear fruit on radio or some other context, so thank you for that, and for all the precious souls that are here, whether it's the kids, the teenagers, uh, those of us in the sanctuary, we pray that you would pour out a blessing that we cannot contain, and that you would revive us, O Lord. You're the only one who can do it. But Lord, we want to position ourselves to receive it. So may you speak and may we have ears to hear what you would say to your people at this given hour. In Jesus' name, if you agree, would you say? Amen. Amen. Well, the psalmist is going to pray three times in these verses for personal revival. I mentioned to you that Psalm 119 has 176 verses. We took the first 16 verses in that study last week, and I think it was a blessed study to focus on the Word of God, to focus on the power of God's Word, to talk about the path of purity. How can a young man or a young woman, or for that matter, it doesn't matter if you're young or old, how can we keep our way pure by living according to your Word? Now, we're going to just briefly uh, touch on the gimel, and uh, I mentioned to you uh, in Psalm 119, you'll see that there's Hebrew... Uh, letters at each opening and then eight verses. Each of those verses or sections of eight verses start with that particular letter. We went through the Aleph at the top of Psalm 119, verse 1, and we did the bait. So you could think of this as our A and B. Each of those eight verses within those sections started with those letters, either the Aleph or the bait. The third letter in the Hebrew alphabet here, and there's 22 total, is the Gimel. We are going to skip that section. I'll touch on that briefly, but we're going to start with the Dilet tonight. The Dilet is basically our D, so that every verse that starts in the next eight verses is a beginning with a D. And if you uh, have a Hebrew uh, word picture dictionary, this was actually something that I've had in my library for quite some time. It's Hebrew word pictures, and it's written by Dr. Frank Seekins. And Dr. Seekins has done a ton of research on the original way that Moses would have written Hebrew. And it's similar to something like Chinese characters where it's done in symbols. Modern Hebrew is very difficult. It's, uh, at least for me it is, because uh, these pictures make it really easy. So let me just give you one example. So Dilet, the D in Hebrew, is a picture of a door. It's just that simple. The Dilet 
is a door. So you could, if you want to imagine a capital D, that might help you just get the image in your mind. Delet is a door. Now, when I talk about a door, what do we think of? We think of uh, entering into a place. We think of a direction or a pathway. That's what we're talking about with the letter delet. It is a path. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. We're told to return to the ways of God, the highway of holiness and so forth. And so that is the letter for the next eight verses. And here's how it begins. It says, my soul cleaves to the dust. Now the actual delet word is the idea of cleaving to the dust. And then we have our title tonight, revive me according to thy word. This is Psalm 119 beginning in verse 25. My soul cleaves to the dust, revive me according to your word. Now something was going on with this psalmist and we don't know the specific authors I mentioned last week, but it may well have been David. It could have been maybe Ezra or somebody else. But this person was going through a tough time, so much so that they described themselves as their soul cleaving to the dust. Now, that seems like an odd picture, doesn't it? To cleave to something, you might think, well, I'm cleaving to a, you know, a, a, a piece of wreckage if I'm floating on the sea or a lifeline or something like that. Why would I cleave to the dust? What does dust symbolize in the Bible? Well, we were made from the dust, but dust and ashes typically is a symbol of grief. It's a symbol of the frailty of life, even being in a very difficult situation. You could say, you know, I feel like I'm as low as low can be. And certainly if the author is David, David had many of those times in his life. Some of them were caused by his own behavior. For example, his adultery with Bathsheba. He brought it on himself and found himself, you know, in the dust, so to speak, because he was dry and he was away from God and not uh, enjoying the joy of his salvation and that direct fellowship. So that could be it. But David was also persecuted. And Saul, for example, was a man who persecuted David. And only because David was a man after God's own heart. And really, he was God's choice to be the king. And so Saul became jealous of David. And David spent many years on the run from Saul and ducking spears and trying to figure out why this man was so crazed in his hatred for David. It could be either or. I am sure if you want to make some personal application that you've experienced both. Sometimes you feel like you're in the dust because you've made a poor decision. And maybe you're, you know, tasting the consequences of that decision. And sometimes you find yourself in the dust of despair. And it's nothing that you did. It may just be life circumstances. It may just be that someone is mistreating you or persecuting you unjustly and so forth. What you can know is that this psalmist is at a low point. And I can't help but think of Job when I think of this particular picture. Let me just share a couple of verses. This is Job 30. Just write it down for your notes, 16 through 20. It says, Now my soul is poured out within me. Days of affliction have seized me. At night it pierces my bones within me. And my gnawing pains take no rest. By a great force my garment is distorted. It binds me about as the collar of my coat. He has cast me into the mire. I have become, Job 30, verse 19, like dust and ashes. I cry out to God for help, but thou dost not answer me. I stand up, and thou dost turn thy attention against me. That's how Job felt. And then in Job 42, the very last chapter of the book of Job, 
Job says, I know you can do all things. He's now uh, seen God, if you will, and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have declared that which I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Hear now, and I will speak. I will ask thee, and do, do thou instruct me. I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. And then Job says in Job 42, 6, therefore I retract and I repent in dust and ashes. And so I think that this posture in Psalm 119 is a posture of repentance and brokenness. And there are many times in the Christian journey when we have to do some self-reflection, we may feel like the best place to have our face is on the ground, amen? You know, sometimes when we get really spiritual, we get on our knees and we think, oh, that's, that's the right posture for prayer, uh, maybe. Uh, it could be standing up, it could be with your hands out, but it could be eating a little carpet <laughs> because you kind of feel low and it could be circumstantial or it could be your own decisions, as I, as I mentioned before. But blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Look, we have to do some self-reflection uh, in our lives. And sometimes we have to look at our own hearts. And if we're going to pray for revival, maybe we should say, Lord, let it start with me. Let it start with my marriage. Let it start with my family. Let it start with my walk with you. I'm always looking outward. I'm always saying, yeah, those guys over there, they need to be revived. But the psalmist says, revive me. And he's gonna say it three times in this particular section we're dealing with. Revive is a Hebrew word called kaya. We transliterate it C-H-A-Y-A, kaya. It means to live, revive does, to have life to remain alive, to sustain life, or to be quickened or restored to life. And I'll tell you what, every day that we live, we realize that we are dust. We're made of the dust. We are flesh, right? And in my flesh dwells no good thing. Jesus put it this way, apart from me, you can do nothing, but I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, says Paul. And he wrote that, by the way, from prison. And so kaya, you can take it as being quickened or restored to life and tie it into the delet, the D, and it comes down to this. What door do you choose? If you want revival, you must walk through the door with the D, if you will, or with the R for revival. You gotta choose revival. You have to cry out for revival. Now, I'm not saying that you cause revival because I believe that revival is a supernatural thing. I believe God imparts revival, but I think he does it when we long for it. And how all that works, I don't know, uh, for sure, I know there's been times of revival in our country and, uh, you know, in great awakenings and the like, and even in the life of Israel that may have come like an unexpected, you know, uh, flood or a breeze when maybe, you know, uh, it wasn't even being prayed for, or maybe it was being prayed for by the few instead of the many. But there is a great revival that's recorded in the book of Nehemiah. And that revival came at the reading of the word of God. And I want to remind you, that Psalm 119 is all about the word of God. It's all about the elevation of the word of God back into the life of a group of people. 
And that is the way revival will come. And Ezra stood up and he read the law, Nehemiah chapter 8. And when the people heard the reading of the law, you know what they did? They began to weep because they realized that they were not doing what the book of the law had required of them. And they were crying and they were told, don't weep. Don't weep anymore. This is a time of joy in the life of the nation. The joy of the Lord, Nehemiah 8.10, is our strength. So there's times when weeping is appropriate. There's times when brokenness is an appropriate response to the world that we live in. You know, the, the 17 news reports that can make your head spin going on in America. I will give you a note of good news. There was a case just recently won in California, and it was... Uh, uh, spearheaded by Matt Staver of the Liberty Council. And I would encourage you to be praying for Matt Staver. And this one, I think, in the Ninth District Court, and the state of California can no longer treat churches with inequity when it comes to restrictions for health purposes, i.e. COVID or anything else. And here's what the decision was. That if the state of California is going to make a declaration about the number of people in a building or what uh, can happen inside a certain square footage or context. They cannot treat the church differently than any other organization or institution. Amen? And that's good news because that means that that's not going to happen ever again in the state of California. And if they're going to do it, they're going to have to do it equally across the board and you know, when it happens equally across the board, you know all the dynamics that are working there politically and with money and power and organizations that, you know, make their power plays and, and so forth. So now in Canada, it's a different story tonight. And I'm not telling you that just because that case was won that everything's cool now, but I'm telling you that is a blessed victory. It's a blessed reprieve from what's been happening, you know, in our state and in our country. In the book of Hosea, there's a cry for revival, and it says this in Hosea 6.2, he will revive us. After two days, he will raise us up on the third day that we may live before him. Hosea 6.3, let us know, let us press on to know the Lord. His going forth is as certain as the dawn. He will come to us like the rain, like the spring rain watering the earth. That's Hosea 6. Two and three, if we want revival, let us press on to know the Lord. Revive me according to your word. Help me walk through the door of your word, Lord. Let me make a decision to live the way that you have called me to live. So the word of God has the power to pull me. I wrote this a little bit earlier in my notes. To pull me out of spiritual doldrums or the pits I often create for myself. Delet, the D, means that I got to walk through the pathway to revival. It points to a door. What is the door to revival? It's getting the word of God back into me as my focus, back as my light, my source of strength, because it gets me and my eyes back on God and away from my poisonous thinking. Can I get a witness? Amen. This is what the word of God does. It snaps me out of the doldrums. It brings me back to seeing things the way I ought to see them. And that's why we need to be in God's word. It's a light that penetrates and pushes away dark thinking, wrong thinking, selfish thinking, lies. 
And so the psalmist goes on, verse 26, he says, I have told of my ways. My ways is Derek. Uh, I told you that's the, spelled like the name Derek. I have told of my ways, and thou hast answered me, teach me thy statutes. You could say it this way. I've told you about my ways. Now teach me, Lord, your ways. I know enough about my ways. I hear them all day long in this brain of mine. Can I get a witness? Anybody? Right? I'm sick of my ways. I'm sick of my thinking. Sometimes I have to describe my thinking as stinking thinking. Sometimes I have to admit, uh, say to somebody, I'll just be over here in the corner doing some stinking thinking. I'll be with you in a little while, right? And this is the battle that we face. It's a battle of the mind. We gotta put on the helmet of salvation. We've gotta fill our heart and mind with the word of God because his word is light and hope and truth, and it will counteract the darkness and the lies of the enemy. Jesus wielded the sword against the lies of the enemy in Luke 4 and Matthew 4. I've told you of my ways. You know, sometimes you talk to people and they say, you know, do you think God ever gets sick of hearing about my ways, <laughs> my stuff, my weaknesses? And here's the good news. He loves us so much that I don't think he gets tired of it. He loves us. And before we speak a word, he already knows it. Before we think a thought, he knows it. So I don't think we're, you know, boring God or saying, oh, Lord, you know, I, I've done the same thing again. Would you forgive me for the 178th time or whatever it may be this week? Anyway, yeah. If you have a New Living Translation, it says, I have told of my plans what did the psalmist share with God about his plans? Well, this is most likely linked to the previous verse and is a confession. This is where my ways got me, Lord. This is where my plans always get me. And I confess that I've been more consumed with my ways than your ways. I know my ways all too well. What I need is your ways, amen? I know how I can, you know, figure out the path I'm supposed to take. I know how I could manipulate the path I'm supposed to take. I think I'm supposed to take. I know my ways. And look, God knows our ways, but he wants us to confess areas of weakness. My ways got me eating dust. They put me in the dust. But God hears and he's compassionate. I can't help but think of the woman caught in the act of adultery in John chapter 8. What did her ways get her? <laughs> well, caught in the very act, dragged before. Good thing the master was there that day, and of course it was a divine appointment. And Jesus began to write in the dust. And after that interaction takes place, Jesus says to the woman after her accusers have left, where are those who condemn you? There are none, Lord, neither do I condemn you, but go and sin no more. Can I put it this way? You've tried it your way. Now do it my way. Jesus didn't just give her a pass and say, oh, I don't condemn you. You know, it's fine. No, he didn't excuse her sin, yet he was gracious. And when we're honest with God about our ways, if we have to, you know, Say while on our face, Lord, this is, this is what I've done. 
And we don't have to do it to update God on current events. Confession is just as much for us. Amen? We need to confess our sin to the Lord because it's good for us to voice it and deal with it and own it. And I think that's what the psalmist is doing. He says, I've told you of my ways. Notice the middle of the verse, thou answered me. He, God didn't turn away from him just because he told of his ways. And then the cry, and often you'll see in Psalm 119, it's a prayer. You answered me, teach me your ways. I want to show you a couple of parallel psalms. Hold your place in Psalm 119. Go to Psalm 25 just for a second. Psalm 25. Here's what the psalmist says. And this uh, particular one is David. Psalm 25, verse 4. David prays, make me know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. 25, 5. Lead me in your truth. Teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day. Remember, O Lord, your compassion and your loving kindness, 25.6, for they have been from old. Do not remember the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your loving kindness, remember me for your goodness sake, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in justice. He teaches the humble his way. All the paths of the Lord are loving kindness and truth to those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my iniquity, for it is great. Who is the man who fears the Lord? He will instruct him in the way he should choose. All the way over to Psalm 143. Psalm 143, verse 8. As we look at another parallel passage, again, David crying out. And he says, verse 8, he says, Let me hear thy loving kindness, 143, 8, in the morning. For I trust in you. Teach me the way in which I should walk. For to you I lift up my soul. Deliver me, O Lord, from my enemies. I take refuge in you. Teach me to do your will. For you are my God. Let your spirit lead me on level ground. Verse 11. For the sake of your name, you could say for your glory, O Lord, revive me in your righteousness. Bring my soul out of trouble. That's the way I want to pray. That's the way I want my prayers to be honest before the Lord. That's a dangerous prayer. Some of you may be thinking, teach me, O oh Lord. Yeah, that's what you want. The disciples watched Jesus pray in the gospels and they said, Lord, teach us to pray. We've been watching you pray. Now teach us how to pray. Teach me how to walk with you. Teach me your ways. I'm sick of the world's ways. I know my ways, and they're really about me, myself, and I. Teach me your ways. This is a hungering for the word of God, and that's where we find it. Back in Psalm 119, verse 27. Make me understand Psalm 119, 27, the way of thy precepts, so I will meditate on thy wonders. Help me understand your ways so I can walk through the doors and meditate on your wondrous works. Amen? The more I find myself walking through God's doors, the more I see God's wondrous works. Amen? 
The more I take the door that God illumines for me, and I don't choose the, the door that leads to destruction, but the one that leads to life, the more God's wonders are on the other side of the door. But I will say, the handle is on your side. You gotta decide to walk through the door. For example, your Bible, to my knowledge, will not fly off your nightstand as you're watching some poor late night television and fly and plop before you and open to an applicable page for your journey in life at that given moment. That's not the way it works. You must make a move. You must walk through the door. I'm not making a commentary on late night TV. I'm just saying... Opening God's word is huge. Make me understand. My soul, 28, weeps because of grief. I've looked at my ways and it makes me cry. I look at the world's ways and it makes me weep. Jesus looked over Jerusalem and wept while they were lauding him. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna. They were waving the palm branches and Jesus wept. Why? Because he knew they misunderstood his mission. They, he knew that it was mostly about political, a political Messiah who could overtake Rome rather than a self-reflection that the Messiah has come to save us from our sins. Roman occupation was certainly a problem and it's understandable in the Jewish mind that they wanted Rome out of there. Certainly I could relate to that because I drink in a lot of that conversation myself. But ultimately, the revival must be here in my heart. It must be in the heart of our nation. Before we're going to see revival, it's got to start here. It's got to start here in the pulpits of America, in the churches of America. Amen? Amen. Revival's not really for the unchurched because they don't get it. <laughs> if you have a New King James, it says, My soul melts from heaviness, 28. Strengthen me according to your word. The, the Hebrew word for strengthen literally means, if you have a new living, it's encourage. But it literally means to stand up or rise up. And it's a great picture of revival in resurrection kind of imagery. It's like I'm laying in the dust. You can picture a person maybe here on their back. Maybe they've turned over in their prayer. And the strength of the Lord comes and they rise back to their feet. That's the image that the psalmist is painting. He's saying, when the word of God comes in, it nourishes the soul. Man shall not live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Deuteronomy 8, 3. Jesus quoted it in Matthew 4, 4. The singer is bowed down, says Morgan. Overwhelmed. He sorely needs succor. He, he needs to be... Uh, encouraged and strengthened. How does he seek it? Not by asking for pity, but by a determined application to the law of his God. He says, Lord, in essence, your word is the only thing that can lift me and lift the doldrums 
from me. It's the only thing that can lift the heaviness. I'm sapped of strength, and what saps me is sin, worry, loss, opposition. Life gets exhausting, doesn't it? There's so many things going on, and so many things going on in the world, and so much potentially to worry about. And I go back to God's word, and he strengthens me. He lifts me up. He says, 29, remove the false way from me. If you have a New King James, the false way is described as the way of lying. And graciously grant me thy law. Remember I pointed out to you, uh, I think it's seven different Hebrew words for law and precepts and commandments. That's the word, end of 29, Torah. To hit the mark. And the psalmist says, Lord, the false way, the way of lying causes me to miss the mark. Graciously grant me to hit the mark. Thy law, thy Torah. Help me walk through the door. Amen? Help me walk through the right door. Now, you don't have to be overwhelmed about 35 or 40 different doors. Usually it's just one door, right? Starting your day with the right door is a good way to think about this. I don't want to take the way of lies, the way of lying, the false way. You say, well, how do you, how do you take the right way then? You choose it. Look at 30. I have chosen the faithful way and I have placed thine ordinances before me. Every day, as a believer, I have a choice. I want you to hold your place in Psalm 119 and turn all the way to Ephesians chapter four. Ephesians chapter four. Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus and he's talking about how to put on the new man. There's a lot of different metaphors in the Bible about how to walk the, the believer's walk. Put on the armor of God. Put on humility, 1 Peter 5. Put on the armor of God is Ephesians 6. Put on the new man is Ephesians 4. And I want you to see back in verse 17 how this unfolds and it connects with what we just read in Psalm 119. Here's what it says. Ephesians 4, look at 17. This I say therefore and affirm together with the Lord that you walk, imagine the door and now the path beyond the door, that you walk no longer, Ephesians 4, 17, just as the Gentiles or unbelievers also walk in the futility of their mind or their ways. They are darkened in their understanding. They're excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. And they, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. But you, Christian, did not learn Christ in this way. I had an experience Recently, where I brought up something that I thought a room of individuals would know, the reference that I made, and I made the reference to something that is out there, and it's, it's Christian-based, but it's out there, and I waited for a response, and the response was greatly lacking. <laughs> it was a room largely, I'm assuming, of unbelievers, and I threw it out there thinking that even a group of unbelieving individuals would know about this and they didn't know what I was talking about. 
And I'm being vague for a reason, but I'll just say I was a little bit shocked by that because I thought it would be a connecting point with this audience and it, they weren't there. And if they ain't exposed to that, you can be sure that they don't know that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are the Gospels in the New Testament. And so it was like, wow, I need to make a blessed adjustment here in the way that I convey the Gospel. Uh, sometimes you can assume some things, sometimes not. Anyway, the, the Gentiles, notice, they're caught up in their own thinking, but you did not learn Christ in this way, 21. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him, teach me your way, Lord, just as the truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted with the lust of lying or deceit. I don't want to take that false way, Lord. And that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created, in, or recreated, you could say, in righteousness and holiness of what? Of the truth. Therefore, laying aside falsehood, lay it aside, brethren. Speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor. For we are members of one another. We're the body of Christ. And then he goes on to say, be angry and do not sin. Don't let the sun go down in your anger. Don't give the devil an opportunity. Don't give him a foothold in your life. If you're a Christian, you're a person of truth now. You have no business living a life of lies anymore. And by the way, you don't have to. Who are you trying to impress by lying? What song and dance do you have to do, and then you have to tell another lie and another lie to try to cover that lie, and then you forgot what you said about this, and then you got to do that. Why, why are you living that way? That's not who God is. God is the God of truth. Now, I'm telling you to, to be wise about the way you navigate your life, but if your life is pretty much an open book, if your life is, you know what, this is who I am, I'm not ashamed of it, Hopefully, people around me know who I am and what I stand for. You don't have to live a life of a lie. And you know, there's a great freedom in not having to live a life of a lie. Amen? It sets you free. And so, you can see a New Testament application to what we're studying in Psalm 119. Let's, let's go back there. I have chosen the faithful way. I gotta take the door. Imagine that D, the Dilette. I want to place your ordinances, Psalm 119, 30, before me. I want to meditate day and night. And I, and I want you to pay attention in verse 29 to that word, graciously. Graciously, end of 29, grant me your Torah. Lord, you are gracious. You're full of compassion and mercy. You know, when Jesus had his confrontations with the religious leaders of his day, he said, go and learn what this means. <laughs> Can you imagine? He said that to Bible experts of his day. Go and learn what the, go, go look up this Bible verse and come back to me and we'll talk about it. <laughs> I desire mercy and compassion. See, they were void of mercy, but our God is full of compassion. He's the God of mercy, the God of all comfort. Amen? He's the God of peace 
He's the God, Peter calls him, the God of all grace. Man, we gotta understand who God is. And when we're crying out and we say to the Lord, Lord, I wanna walk with you. I, I want my prayer life to be different than it was last week. I want my devotional life to be different than it was last week. Now we're getting somewhere. Now we're making it about God and we're making it about our walk with him and not about us per se. I cleave, I was cleaving to the dust at the beginning of the psalm. Look at 31. I cleave to your testimonies. Another way to say God's word. Oh Lord, don't put me to shame. A couple of quotes. God is constantly throwing us his gracious lifelines or the way of escape. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, no temptation has overtaken you except that which is common to man. God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you can bear, but with the temptation, he will provide what? The door of escape. There is always, please hear me, always a door of escape when you are tempted to sin. Always. That's God's promise. God's faithful. He will always provide you a way of escape or the way of escape. But you got to choose the door. Amen? Because that other door is often real shiny, illuminated with all kinds of attractive lighting, right? <laughs> Almost reminds me of Yogi Bear when he smelled the pie cooking and he just kind of floated over to the direction of the pie. Yeah, boo-boo. <laughs> How's about a big ink basket? Anyway, never mind. <laughs> I got to cling to the testimonies of God, 31, like I would cling if I was floating on the ocean, holding on to a piece of wreckage. Paul did that in his testimony, right? I got to cling to his word. The clinging of these verses, says Horn, connects with the choosing of the previous verses. Having once chosen our road, it remains that we persevere in it. Since better had it been for us never to have known the way of truth than to forsake it when known. We gotta continue in it. And that's what the psalmist says next. I shall run. Man, he went from being in the dust to you know talking about doors. We had some imagery of rising up from the dust and now he talks about running Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9, I want to run the race to what? Win it. <laughs> Second place ain't what I'm going for. Amen? You guys out there? I don't like second place. If I'm going to run, I want to win. I want to run to win. I got one shot at this race. I got one life to offer. And I spent part of it through the wrong doors. Now, I want to run. And the psalmist says, and look, he started in the dust, so we, we all have hope here. I shall run. That sounds like, man, I, I've made up my mind. I shall run in the way of thy commandments. In other words, say <clears throat> God's word or God's law. And look at this. For thou, oh yeah, will enlarge my heart. Oh, oh, oh. I don't know if you've prayed this before, but this is good. Lord, make my heart bigger. You know, a lot of us, when we live life and we watch the world and we watch the fickleness of people and even bad experiences sometimes within the church or with church folks, you know what we do? We close off our heart. 
It becomes smaller. But the psalmist says, NIV, I run in the path of your commands for you've set my heart free. And another way to say it is, excuse me, you have made my heart bigger than it was before. There's room in my heart for you, Lord, but I want there to be room for much more. Make, enlarge my heart. Maybe that could be your prayer this week. Lord, make my heart bigger. Well, what happened then? Well, in Whoville, they say that the Grinch's small heart grew three sizes that day. And then the true meaning of Christmas came through and the Grinch found the strength of 10 Grinches plus two from the Grinch, how the Grinch stole Christmas. His heart was so small, but then it was enlarged. And you know what? That's just a simple way to say, instead of being a Grinch, you start making your life about grace. And you say, my life is big enough to enlarge it so that you could come in and we could spend some time together and I could be there for you because his commandments have strengthened me to be there for others. He's enlarged my heart. All right, that's the Dillette. We're only gonna do one more and it's the hay. It's spelled like he at the top of the next section. Uh, that is basically the H. It's the hay. And here's how it's pictured in the Hebrew picture language. It's a man with his arms up in a posture of worship. And it makes almost like the letter H. Hey! Or if you were in New York, you would say something like this. Hey, I'm over here! That's the hay in Hebrew. And I'm not joking around. It's actually... Uh, the Hebrew word means behold or look. That's the word. It's actually pictured in this uh, dictionary as Jesus coming up out of the water at his baptism and receiving the Holy Spirit coming down upon him like a dove. So it's, it's a posture of worship. It's I'm open. I want to receive. And it starts this way. Teach me, O Lord, the way of thy statutes, and I shall observe it to the end. Now, once you walk through the door, brothers and sisters, just look up just for a quick second. Once you walk through the right door, then the hands go up. All right. <laughs> I, I picked the door. Now it's, hey. <laughs> now, I don't uh, encourage you to address God as, hey. Don't do that. But the image is, a, is of a person who's saying, Lord, I'm here. I've walked through the door and now I'm ready to receive. It's the hay. Give me understanding. Notice the cry. That I may observe your Torah. Keep it with all my heart. Look, I want that enlarged heart and I am asking, I'm crying out for understanding of your word so that I can keep your ways. Uh, verse 33 says, O oh Lord, teach me the way of, of your statutes, and I shall what? Observe them or observe it to the end. I want to run the race. We saw that running image just a little while ago. And I want to run and finish strong. Somebody did a study on the number of well-known Bible characters who ended with a thud. It's a pretty sobering number. 
like people who started off well in our Bibles and didn't finish well. And it should grab all of our attention because what it means is it's a very human thing to start off well. Sometimes we'll start something new at the church and we'll introduce a new book on Wednesday nights. We're going to study. Uh, one of the ones that comes to mind for me was the book of Job. And the first night, we're just, Job, we're like, yeah, let's go, let's go. We'll, let, we'll choose a door. We're going through the door of the Job, right? By about week four, they'd chosen the other door. And even when we opened a study in the book of Revelation, boy, this place was jammed on a Wednesday. Revelation, end time prophecy. Wow. Let's go. I want to hear about the horses and the, and the stuff. Fire. Stuff going on in the world might be in the end times. Revelation. Or some people say revelations. Don't put the S on there. It's the book of Revelation. Not plural, although there are plural revelations in the book, but it's about a revelation of Jesus Christ. Anyway, I digress. We get excited about stuff, and, and it's easy to start well. Even in the parable of the sower, you know, you had one of those soils. He starts off, you know, really good, right? He's excited, and he grows up quickly. But the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches, listen, choke the what? The word. And he bears no fruit. He doesn't last. He's excited. You know, he came in, he heard about the things of the gospel, he went to a, a crusade, and he ran down on the field, and he picked a little grass from Anaheim Stadium, because you should, you know, put it in his pocket, but, but it was all for spiritual reasons, right? And, and he started off great. Do you know, it's really interesting. For years, and I'm not putting down crusades or the Harvest Crusade, but for years, we did follow-up phone calling uh, geographically, basically by zip code. And so we had a team of phone callers, and we'd follow up on people who made professions of faith at the Harvest Crusade. Do you know what our success rate was on getting those folks, sometimes as many as 70 to 100 names, to a new believers class? Whew. Wasn't good. Wasn't good at all. In fact, a lot of people... Oh, I, uh, I just went down there because my friend went down there. Oh, I, my friend, uh, I went with my friend and, and they have a church and I'm probably going to go to their church and that's if they would even talk to you. Now, I'm not saying that's, I know people personally who have been saved at that kind of event, but I'm saying we're, we're prone to get excited, and this is a very human thing, right? We start a diet, we start an exercise routine. All right, this is it, we're going. Hour a day on the treadmill. Here it comes. Day one's about 20 minutes, and then that's it. It's hard to be consistent. And so this is why you're going to see some of the language that you're about to see. And we're winding down. And here's what the psalmist says. He says, notice, look at the opening words of each verse. Teach me, give me, make me, incline my heart. <laughs> It's, a, it's as if he's saying, all right, Lord, I know how I am. I can walk through the door to let, I can say, hey, but then help me. Because after I say the right door and the hey, then sometimes it's like, uh, that's it. And sometimes people say, they see you on the street and they say, hey, where have you been? You're like, uh. 
<laughs> the hay is kind of folded in. Anyway, make me walk. Have you ever prayed that? <laughs> All right, Lord, now don't do it this way. Make me. <laughs> no, don't do it that way. But have you ever prayed like this? Make me, Lord, walk in the path of your commandments. I delight in it. Paul in Romans 7 says, man, I delight in the law of the Lord, but I find another law working in my members, in my flesh, right? He says, incline, 36, my heart to your testimonies and not to dishonest gain. I don't want to go that way. Change me, make me, incline me to your way. Spurgeon says, this is the cry of a child that longs to walk, but is too feeble of a pilgrim who is exhausted yet pants to be on the march, of a lame man who pines to be able to run. Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Remember the friends who lower the crippled man down through the roof of the house? Just a touch. Boy says he's asking God to turn his heart toward the Bible rather than allowing him to pursue selfish gain. For the first time, he is confessing a potentially divided mind. Turn away my eyes, 37, from looking at worthless things, vanity, empty things. If you have uh, NIV, I think it says worthless things, but it's another way to say empty things. And here's a second revive me and revive me, revitalize, restore me in your ways. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things. Now, I don't have to tell you that there is an epidemic in that which engages one to look on these things. This is Psalm 101. Once you, once you flip over there, this is worth looking at. Psalm 101 says, I will sing of loving kindness and justice, David is singing now. To thee, O Lord, I will sing praises. Psalm 101, verse two. I will give heed to the blameless way. When will thou come to me? I will walk within my house in the integrity of my heart. 101, three. I will set no worthless thing before my eyes. I hate the work of those who fall away. I shall not... It shall not, notice this, fasten its grip on me. I don't want to set worthless things before my eyes so that that thing fastens its grip on me and I ended up falling away, something that I hate to do. A perverse heart shall depart from me. I will know no evil. Back to Psalm 119. You, you know, let's face it. If you're going to be pure in this culture, you're not only going to have to make a decision. You're going to have to make a concerted, plant your flag decision that you aren't going to go there. And you will probably be mocked for it. Even in some professing Christian circles. Oh, come on, really? You, you mean you... You don't want to go there because why? You know, that's what people will do. 
Turn my eyes away from it, Lord. I don't want to look at worthless things because I know what they do to me. Revive me in your ways. Help me. What's the opposite of worthless or vain? It's things that have substance. Those are the things I want to meditate on. I want to look on those things. Poole says, I desire that I may be dull and dead in affections to worldly vanities. So, Lord, make me lively and vigorous and fervent in your work and service. As if to say, I don't have time for those things. I don't have time for that thing to be planted in my brain. I know my flesh is attracted to many things like that, but that's not what I want in my head. That's not what I want in my heart. I don't want it skewing my vision. And so final verses, establish your word to your servant, 38, as that which produces reverence for you. Look, if you're gonna be a person who fears the Lord, it will be because you are established in the word of God. You're rooted and grounded. You will have a fear of the Lord and a reverence for God that is becoming more rare, rare in our day, amen? The fear of the Lord. Even people who you know, may not know God personally sometimes talk about, but I fear God, or there's a fear of the Lord there. That seems to be waning as well. But when you're establishing God's word, it produces, notice, and the word of God always produces good things, fruit. Here, one of the fruits is reverence. It produces reverence for God. And then final two verses, turn away my reproach. I think we go back to the beginning when he found himself in the dust, maybe because of bad choices, my reproach, which I dread, it could be persecution as well. For your ordinances are good. Behold, there's the hay. Hey, <laughs> I long for your precepts. And then brethren, the final uh, section here is back to our title. Revive me through your righteousness. Father, thank you for this wonderful section how I need revival in my heart. I am often exhausted, sapped, uh, strengthless. <laughs> Sometimes I feel like I can't go on. That's oftentimes on a Monday morning, <laughs> right after preaching a couple of messages and feeling like I've soared to the heights of heaven, I often find in my flesh a real weakness. And it's not just Monday mornings, and I'm sure we can all relate to this. It's, it's times when maybe we've been walking and experiencing some cool stuff, and all of a sudden, man, it's so easy to find ourselves back in the dust. And this is where we pray, revive me, O oh Lord. I need your touch. I need you to teach me your ways. I'm tired of my ways and the world's ways. Lord, turn me, <laughs> make me. These kinds of prayers, Father, are really, they're bold, they're enlightening. They kind of thrill my soul because it's a new way to look at how to pray. You know, this, this psalm is really about the word of God, but we can see how the word of God in prayer go hand in hand. Would you revive us tonight, Lord? Those who are in the room, those who are watching, those who may watch this later, Lord, we want to receive revival.
from your hand, from your breath, your spirit. So tonight, we walk through the door. We lift up our hands. Would you lift up your hands? We want to exchange our weakness, give it to you right now, for your strength. Revive us. And let us run with endurance the race marked out before us. As we turn our eyes away from worthless things and we look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Who for the joy set before him, he ran the race, he endured the cross, he despised the shame and sat down at the right hand of God the Father. Help us, Lord. Because we do get weary in the race and I sense that there are some weary souls listening to my voice right now. And I'm praying as their hands are up, they'll exchange their weakness for your strength and mount up with wings like eagles and run and not get weary. Walk and not get tired. We're here, Lord, and maybe we can see this as a way of us saying tonight, Lord, we've walked through the door. Here we are. Behold, Lord, look over here. Teach me, make me, change me, use me. Now, if you've never walked through that door of salvation, you got to take that first step, which is trust Jesus. Make him your king, your Lord. Tell him you want to run the race for his kingship and his kingdom. You want to follow him. You believe he died for you. Say it. I believe you rose from the dead. I trust you. Teach me to follow you, Lord, all the days of my life. We love you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you for your word. Bless each one. Fill them afresh. Strengthen them in every way they need it. Encourage their hearts of your grace and your love. In Jesus' name, if you agree, would you say?